1954, there was a guy named Roger Bannister who became the first man, first guy to ever break the four-minute barrier in running the mile. He ran a mile in less than four minutes. Now, there were several guys that were close that were hoping to be the first. He became the first. That's a pretty big deal. And so, you know, I ran track cross country. So just put this in context, you know, like, okay, four minutes, that sounds fast. Let's say you ran a five-minute mile. It's about four, four times around the track. You know, you have the school, school there. And uh, let's say you ran a five-minute mile and you ran around four times. Uh, you, f- you crossed the finish line at the same time. Only one of you would be done. He would technically lap you, and uh, you would have one more lap to go. It's fast, right? And so Roger Bannister became the first man to break this four-minute barrier. A very short time after that, a guy named John Landy, who was also hoping to be the first, then broke his time. So Roger Bannister breaks the four-minute barrier, but then John Landy, you know, just a short time after, breaks the time that, that Roger Bannister set. And so now there's this natural rivalry, which sets up this race called the Miracle Mile, taking place in Vancouver, Canada. Other guys in the race, but everybody knew it was going to come down to Roger Bannister versus John Landy. And it did. John Landy's leading the race most of the time, comes down to the last 100 yards. They take the final turn. There's about 90 yards to go. And in that moment, John Landy, being in the lead, decides to look over his left shoulder to check to see where Roger Bannister is. At the very exact moment he looks over his left shoulder, on his right shoulder, Roger Bannister passes him and wins the race. Now, many of you have played sports, and you probably remember your lowest point, your worst moment, your greatest failure or regret, and you're like, oh, man. And, you know, most people don't know about it, right? You think about it, you know, the guys that were on your team at the time, you guys talk about it. But most of us, you know, we're the only ones that know. This is different, unfortunately. And so here's a picture that ended up being a painting of that exact moment, John Landy looking over his left shoulder. Unfortunately, it doesn't stop there. You know, and I can't even imagine, you know, being poor John Landy. Like, he broke the four-minute mile. He's, 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 he's a big deal. It didn't stop there. You can go to Vancouver, Canada today. Not only will you see a picture or a painting, you also see the statue. Yeah, major bummer. That commemorates... His greatest regret when it comes to sports in his entire life. That is a major bummer, right? Like he thought he was going to win. He was winning the whole race. But here's what John Landy said afterwards. Landy later said, I would have won the race if I hadn't looked back, if I hadn't taken my eyes off the goal, if I hadn't taken my eyes off the goal. See, a runner who chooses to look over their shoulder, think about this, is no longer running to win. Instead, they're running not to lose. There's a big difference, isn't there? I feel like, and you, we all live this out, we get this intuitively, oftentimes we're inclined to live our lives, to run the race of life, so to speak, in kind of a defensive posture, hoping to just get through life unscathed, right? To stay safe, to have enough happiness, to one day look back and say that was a good life. Keeping us from really pressing on, moving forward, literally running, staying focused on what is in front of us, the the race that God had in mind. And so what we're going to look at in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, is Paul using the metaphor of a race. Not real specific, could be a running race, could be a a chariot race, that was a thing at at that time in history. But he's using this metaphor to, to give an example to the people that he's writing to in the city of Philippi, which is northern Greece at the time, one of the first European locations and areas to hear about the gospel, the good news and grace of Jesus Christ. They had a great ministry partnership, and so he's, he's wanting them to stay the course, to stay focused, right? To run toward the goal, the prize that God has in mind for them. And so this is very applicable to our everyday life right now and the posture that we find ourselves living in. So here we go, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. 
Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is the vision that he's, he's forecasting. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That's the ideal future. Notice verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that, which, that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Now think about the context here. The, the people of Philippi know who Paul is. They hold him in, in high regard, high esteem, right? He's a spiritual role model. So maybe you have that person in your life, right? We think of somebody like a, a Billy Graham. You're like, oh, wow. They're, they're spiritually mature, obviously. I hope to attain to, to them. And, and they write a letter back to you saying, I'm not there. I'm nowhere close. I'm like, oh, wow. I must be a far away from the ideal then, you know, if they're not anywhere close to where they need to be. And so what we first and foremost see, you know, as we're running the race of life, a prerequisite for running your race well is knowing that you never arrive. Knowing that you never arrive. And this is so important for people to understand, especially if they're checking out church for the first time or they're, they're, they're considering a relationship with Jesus Christ. Church can be intimidating, Right? You can show up and look around and, you know, like, oh, people know the, how the service is going to go. They know the worst of the songs. They know what to do when. Looks like they have it all together. Right? You need to know if you're one of those people. You're surrounded by people, all of us, every single person in this room. We don't, we, we haven't arrived. Right? We're on this journey of life together and we will never get to a place where we have fully arrived. So it's a prerequisite for running your race well. Know that you never arrive in your walk with Christ, the fullness of maturity, until the day you see him face to face, until your race is over and you have gained Christ. And so it's really living with this perpetual divine dissatisfaction, <laughs> always straining, always pressing on, wanting more, looking forward. It's essential to maturing in our faith. So this constant pursuit of Christ understanding how far we still have to go. So Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this. I mean, this is the statement of one desperately following after Christ, never satisfied with his spiritual attainments. When I was studying this, the image that came to mind is being a part of a small group, and let's say Mother Teresa is part of your small group. Like if Mother Teresa is deciding to continually, week after week, show up to your small group, that's gonna be pretty convicting to me. I should probably keep coming as well. I see somebody like that, like, like, you're good, right? I mean, is this really offering value to your life? But it's the posture, it's the humility of continuing to show up, knowing that I never arrived, knowing that I will always need this sense of community, this context of growth. It's why we don't have, like, small group graduation. If you decide to join a small group six years from now, it's not like, here's your certificate, congratulations. You no longer need small group anymore. You have attained the fullness of maturity in Christ. It, it's not going to happen. Why? We're a work in progress until the end of our lives until we become perfected in Christ himself. So in the meantime, here's what Paul's getting at. What does that mean for us in the meantime as we're running our race, looking to run it well? He says, but one thing I do. Does something happen? We have gone off the rails in the children's. <laughs> That's unbelievable. 
I had to ask because I, I thought it was a bunch of whispers, but it was a bunch of people saying, six, 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 six. <laughs> well, I'm going to move our Tuesday meetings to Monday. We got some conversations to have. I feel bad for the parent who got that number. I hope that wasn't a first time guess. <laughs> Checking in there, kid. Here. Your number will be on the screen if we need you. <laughs> it's a pretty good sign. You're probably going to need me. <laughs> oh, no, that kid's acting up. Like, you get that number. That kid's... I'm sorry. That, per that parent, if the spouse of that parent's still here, I'm sorry. That, there's... We don't even have that many kids back there. How? I have so many questions. Huh. All right. <laughs> Why is it still up there? <laughs> oh, this is unbelievable. Oh. Man, I, I hope that parent sticks around. I need to personally apologize. Like, get behind me, Satan, whatever. Okay, and uh, that which leads us to. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So, verse thirteen. I guess it works to set this up. Paul says, "But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, right? Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead." Right, this is the vision for our lives, and this is, this is why joy is a discipline. This is difficult to execute on a daily basis, deciding to forget what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Verse 14, he says, the result of that is I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What is that prize? It's the fullness of presence of Jesus Christ, right? If you've been here the last few weeks, and even if you've never been to church before, maybe you've heard this popular scripture, to live is Christ, right? That's what we're called to do now, but to die is to gain Christ. That's the prize, the fullness of, of Christ himself, his presence, and his blessings. Verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. I notice this, I love this last part. It seems like he just kind of threw this in there. And we could spend all morning just on this next part. But he says, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I love the practicality that, uh, of that. If you cling to Christ, if you place your faith in God, over time he will eventually make things clear to you. He will reveal proper perspective, if you will. Now, here's what's interesting. And it, I spent a lot of time in verse 13 just reflecting on it. And after reading it several times, I'm like, that's interesting. Paul says, one thing I do. Whenever you hear one thing, it's like, wow, that one thing must be really, really important. But did you notice he then says two things? One thing I must do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. What that tells me, if it's one thing, it must be actually be one thing, even though it sounds like two things. Those two things are connected. So think about this. Focus running that receives the prize that is gaining Christ requires one thing, because Paul, you know, he points that out. And here it is. The first part of that one thing is forgetting what is behind. So again, playing out the, the sports metaphor, you know, the best athletes tend to have what's called short-term memory. Let's say in a basketball game, you miss your previous five shots. Well, you're going to move on and say, you're going to believe that you can make the, the next shot. You're going to forget what is behind, or if you've lost the last 10 games, you're going to Hopefully, maintain confidence you can win the next. You're not going to say, well, we're not going to win that next one because we've lost the last 10. 
See, it requires looking ahead, fully looking ahead, learning from mistakes instead of living in mistakes, deciding to move forward. So what are we to forget specifically? There's a whole list that we could go through, but what he's really speaking to specifically is our failures, our setbacks, so that we can run the race God intended for us to run. Now, as we make this transition, this immediately gets you know, heavy for a lot of people who have had to navigate significant valleys in life, and you're still carrying that burden. Your weight, the weight of your past has continued to define your present and will continue to define your future, right? If, if, you, if you keep from running the race that God has in mind for you. Now, it's important to know the context here of forgetting, which is unrealistic, right? It's impossible to totally forget significant things that have happened in your past. It does not mean fail to remember. Instead, in the Bible, to forget means to no longer be influenced or affected by to the point that it keeps you from running your race, that it's debilitating. And all of us have something that, 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 that crops up in our lives that wants to keep us from moving forward. Paul's past, right, the author of most of the New Testament. Think about who God used to write most of the New Testament. His past consisted of him persecuting Christians. Wouldn't you think that that would make him damaged goods? Wouldn't you think God could have gotten somebody better, a better resume? You got a guy who was living out the exact opposite of, of God's ideal? Well, no, he uses him. He uses his past for the best possible future of ministry, of being a missionary. So in essence, as Paul is running, he's forgetting. Can you imagine how many times that creeped up? It's like, oh man, I have no credibility. These people know my history. Right? He struggled. He would have struggled with his confidence. He has to forget what is behind. It's a discipline to not allow your past to define you. So I have to believe some of you are probably trying to run your race while still looking backwards. You're shackled by regrets, failures. Not just your friends, your coworkers, but even your family have told you, man, I don't, because of what you've done, because of what your past consists of, I don't, it's just a lot to overcome. I don't know if you never get to a point of thriving again. They're wrong. God says they're wrong. And this is a command. It's a discipline. Paul says to forget what is behind. Some of you are allowing your past to keep you from pressing on and moving into the future. Think about it practically. It's much more difficult to run a race if I'm carrying an extra weight on my back. If you're going to run the Flying Pig Marathon, you're not going to take a backpack of rocks to put on right when you start. That would be ridiculous. It's naturally going to slow you down. But in essence, that's what we do in life. That's what we're inclined to do. We can't get past our past. Right? And so it's a, it's a trudge. It's a weight. It's a burden. And we feel like our baggage defines us. Paul says otherwise. He's a living testimony of that. <laughs> Look at what God is doing through me in spite of what my past consists of. Forgetting what is behind means that we break the power of the past by living for the future. Forgetting what is behind means that we need to break the power of the past by living for the future. Now, we can't change the past. All of us, right, for being honest with ourselves, we want to reach back into our past. I wish that was different. We can't change the past, but we can change the meaning of the past by how we choose to live today. It can mean something. We're not giving up on our race because of what our past consists of. We're embracing the reality of our past, but we're going to keep it in the past. We're going to forget what is behind because God has more in mind for us, and we need to move forward. We need to get moving in this race of life. Now, your, your past, it matters. It shaped your reality today. It's not irrelevant, but your past does not have to determine the rest of your life. Why? Because the gospel, the good news, and grace of Jesus Christ will always be more powerful than your past. 
He also points out in the context of the scripture, we, we need to forget our past achievements. Right, so past failures, that makes sense, but we, we don't think about this often. We need to forget our past achievements. Sometimes we can live in the past, you know, we, we would reflect on, oh man, the good old days. Remember when, right? We can sit around with, you know, high school, college friends, like, oh man, if only. If only life could still be like that. If only we could go back and do it all over again. Now, the story time, that's great. I love doing that, right? Crack up laughing, reminiscing. But it can be dangerous. If we're, trying, if we're longing for what once was, it can keep us from embracing the reality of today, which sets us up for a better tomorrow. I mean, the constant mindset of remember when, as we still hold on to past achievements as the means to our present significance, it's dangerous. See, the problem is nostalgia often promotes complacency. Oh, the best days are behind me. Man, that was, it's been good, right? Wish we could do it all over again. No, you're here because God has something in mind for you today and tomorrow. The things which are behind must be set aside, and the things which are before us, in front of us, must take their place. It's a vision. And the only way we have proper vision is if we choose to look forward. So the second part, which again, is still the one thing Paul's getting at, running a focused race requires straining, reaching toward what is ahead. And so that verb that he uses, straining toward, literally means stretching as in a race. I'm not going to go backwards. It doesn't make sense. I'm going to stretch, right? I'm going to get all I can out of moving forward. I'm going to keep myself postured forward. So if we're straining toward our future, what Paul's getting at, we won't be controlled by our past anymore. I mean, again, think about it practically. If you're running a race, if you decide to look over your shoulder, number one, you know, you kind of veer. It's harder to go straight. We even see this when we're driving, right? You look over your shoulder, like, oh, I'm swerving. And so you're not going to be able to run the focused race, but you also think about how it knocks you off balance because <laughs> you're distracted, right? It's like, okay, well, I can only look forward. That's God's vision for my life. There's no sense in moving backwards or even looking in the rear view of my, my past, Someone who's been convicting to me uh, over the years is a, just an amazing servant of God named Wanda Hannon. She's part of our church family, been here at First Church for several years. And uh, Wanda, uh, here's a great picture of her. She's 89 years old. I know it's, you know, you shouldn't like announce people's ages, but personally, I feel like if you get to like 85, you know, I don't know about your plans. I'm planning to wear it as like a badge of honor. I feel like, you, you know, you don't really announce your age, but once you get when I get to 85, like, my name's Darren, I'm 85 years old. Like, I'm going to be proud of that. Like, I'm 85, going strong or kind of strong. But anyway, I say all that because she's awesome. And uh, she's continued to serve so faithfully here as a volunteer. She'll come in almost weekly and help in the front office, do whatever needs to be done administratively. And uh, so when she was 32 years old, you can do the math, it was a long time ago. Her and her husband were both 32. Unfortunately, when he was overseas, he was killed in an automobile accident. And uh, they had three kids at the time, and uh, she's just at a loss. Many of you, unfortunately, have had to navigate this. We're like, all of a sudden, everything is stable. Everything is moving forward. Everything is good. Like, you know, kids are being taken care of. She's able to be a stay-at-home mom. And then all of a sudden, it changes. And she asked the questions that everybody asked, like, God, what are you doing? And now what? And the inclination would be to give up. Like, whoa, okay, well, that life's over. I guess we're just going to live in survival mode. And, you know, through that stretch of time, I'm sure she was down. I'm sure she was discouraged, but she did not give up on living. She decided that she was going to continue to press on. I want to read just a few of her words. She said, when we were both 32, my husband died in an automobile accident. We had three children, a daughter, 12, and sons, eight and three. Can you imagine those ages? She said, my first concern was finding a job. 
My sister-in-law told me of a job opening in our community. I interviewed and was hired to work in the office. Later, the company was sold to a larger company, I remember, and I remained on the job until I retired after 30 years. She got busy living. She's like, okay, now what, what's next? Now what? Right? And so she's not going to just coast. She's like, I'm getting a job. Right? In the midst of, I'm sure, all that sorrow, that, that, that burden that she was carrying of loss. She goes on to talk about how uh, she, she found a perfect babysitter you know, that God provided. And she was in a situation practically because her husband passed. You know, financially, she wasn't able to keep that, the house that she describes as a big house at the time. So I had to sell that and move into a smaller house. I love her perspective. She said, I sold a house and bought a house without even having a realtor. I don't know how I did it. She goes on. I didn't think of it at the time, but I know that God was taking care of all my needs. He's always with us. There were times when I wasn't attending my church with a job, children, housework, laundry, groceries, taking the kids to their activities, just spending time with them. I ran out of time, but God didn't give up on me. She said, my kids went to college, have had good careers, and we are still a close and loving family. Thanks be to God, Wanda. Just an amazing example a beautiful, beautiful story that you know, we just get to, to watch unfold. And I love looking you know, at all the people that are ahead of me in the race of life that, that, that I can emulate, right? Their courageousness in the midst of, of their valley. A year after that, 1962, uh, she was living in Lawrenceburg, Indiana at the time. She was picked um, by the newspaper, local newspaper as Mother of the Year. So this is a copy of, of the picture. Uh, in 1962, picked Mother of the Year, Part of the article says, she, Wanda was commended for carrying on so well the tasks of a mother after becoming widowed a year ago when her husband, Edward Roush, was killed overseas. Since that time, she has become an employee of Lawrenceburg Gas Company, is a member of Greendale PTA, and belongs to a homemakers club. What is that? It's pressing on. That's living, even when she doesn't feel like moving forward. She says, hey, I, I got to get up and I got to go. Mother of the year, right? By simply saying, hey, I got to move forward. I'm responsible for other people. And so what's interesting, when Paul says this one thing, you know, is actually two things. It's because our reaching helps us in our forgetting. Like, I, you know, and counseling is important. We go to counseling, we talk with the counselor, and right, we dig into our past. And, and it's not just about, you know, getting over our past and then being like, all right, I'm over my past. No, it's about moving forward. And we have to have vision in order to get over our past, to put it in proper perspective. So which is forgetting plus reaching equals pressing on. Forgetting plus reaching is choosing to advance. Advancement in what? Specifically spiritual maturity, closeness in Christ. Think about this practically. Yes, we play a part in our closeness in Christ. God came all the way to us through the person of Jesus Christ, his son, met us in our darkest moment, in our sin, and made us right with him. But now we walk. And now we run this race, and now we pursue him, and we get to remain, we get to cling, we get to abide, we get to be close to Jesus Christ, spiritual maturity. Joy requires the disciplined act of remaining in Christ. Hebrews 12 paints another picture, metaphor of a race that I think is, is, is practical. I love the, the picture of it. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right, all of heaven and angels and the witnesses there, let us throw off everything that hinders. It could be past failures or past achievements. And the sin that so easily entangles. Here it is. Let us run with 
perseverance, the race marked out for us. You have a race marked out for you. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? That's forward. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider the joy set before him. What is that? The joy set before Jesus was reunion, right? Future reunion with his father, but also the opportunity to be the perfecter of your faith. You were part of the joy that he had when he was on the cross. And so in light of that, here's our command, verse three of Hebrews 12. Consider him. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's where, that's where all of us have been at some point in our life. That's where some of you are today. You're weary. You're losing heart. You're ready to check out. You're like, yeah, my best days are definitely behind me. I don't think God has any more for me yet. I'm just putting my time in. Consider him. So that we do not grow weary and lose heart. We're called to consider the one who exemplified what it means to finish well. He pressed on because the joy set before him. The love for his father is love for you. So notice verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Notice this. For which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You've been called. You think you're purposeless, right? Your life has no value. God says otherwise. He's called you, right? It's whether or not we're actually receiving that call and responding. Because we're listening to the voice in our head. We're hearing you know, Satan creep in and say, no, look at your past. Look at your baggage. Look at your brokenness. You can't overcome that, right? And those voices are there. That's a, that's, no, I've, I've called you, right? You're still in this race. Your life, your journey, your story right now, today, it matters. I'm using you. You're not here by any accident. You've been called. God is the prize of relationship with him and the fullness of blessings from him in mind. So let me be very clear. The race has not been won or lost until the finish line has been reached. Your race hasn't been won. It hasn't been lost until the finish line has been reached. Your race, no matter what it has consisted of for however many years, it matters today. It absolutely matters today. Now, I've been faced, you know, with the brevity of life you have as well. Um, We've all witnessed loss. Many of you have experienced great loss within your family. But just this past week, we all know life is short, right? And so we got to live for today. But this past week, it was front and center. Uh, Thursday uh, afternoon, I did a memorial service for a two-year-old, the two-year-old who was unfortunately in that drowning accident. And it's like, this is unfathomable. This is the worst possible loss, right? The whole family has questions. It's like, wow, he's a special little boy. You know, how can, how can this be redeemed? And, and, and we're just kind of, kind of at a loss of how God is going to use this. And it's difficult for the family to move forward in light of that loss. And then uh, just yesterday, we had a funeral service here in this room for a 48-year-old guy who uh, was diagnosed with schizophrenia as an 18-year-old. And his life has been an absolute battle. It's been a brutal battle. Life is terrible much of the time, right? When things like that happen, every single day is a trudge, just survival and trying to get through every single day. And, and then just last night here in Oak Brook, I went over to uh, a woman's house. Uh, she's, it was her, she's with her sister. Uh, hospice has been brought in. And this woman who's dying of dementia is only 56 years old. And so this isn't how things are supposed to go. I mean, this is, this is the difficulty, the challenge of, of life. And so face-to-face with the brevity in all three of these circumstances, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the family, many of which, you know, our parents, they're older. This is out of order. This isn't how things are supposed to go. 
And last night, this 56-year-old woman, she, you walk into her room where she was at Elmcroft. It's, her, her wall is just full of medals. She ran multiple Ironman races and half Ironman. And it's like someone to be this debilitated for life, you know, to so aggressively take her down physically. Uh, I mean, so much more to the story, but this past Monday, Dana, who's, who's, who's dying from dementia as we currently speak, uh, she you know, had an abscess tooth, and she's just kind of decided, you know, it, life's, it's hard. I can't even imagine. And uh, she's aware enough to know just how hard it is for her and for everybody around her, and she didn't want to go to the dentist, and she's just kind of checking out. And um, So her sister you know, called me up and said she wanted to get baptized. You know, she's been, you know, she's had faith in God for, for much of her life and, but had never been baptized. And so Tuesday she came over, you know, and we baptized her and it probably took 30 minutes just, you know, kind of get up the steps and get situated in there. And she's really struggling. And Wednesday she started to go downhill and right, just a sense of, of completion. She's like, I'm finishing well. <laughs> and the way that I want to finish my last days where I'm aware of anything at all is like, I'm, I'm running with Christ. I'm, I'm finishing with baptism. I want that to be the exclamation point on my life. So life is short and life is hard. And if we haven't gone through the valley, we will. But when we're in the valley, we're still in the race. We're still in the race. So I want to encourage many of you to maybe today start by deciding to stay in the race. You're not finished until you're finished. Until you've gained Christ and met him face to face. Now, none of us are Roger Bannister, if we want to play out that metaphor. You know, I don't know about you. I know me. It's like, okay, my, my race in life is probably not going to look a whole lot like Roger Bannister trying to break a four-minute mile. And so uh, I, I found a better example that I can relate to, and you, you may as well. Uh, back in 1968, it's been 14 years after Roger Bannister, a guy by the name of John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania was running in the Olympics uh, in Mexico City. This is 1968. He's running the marathon and came all the way from Tanzania, and it's uh, extreme heat, 76 runners running the marathon, 17 of them didn't even finish. Race started at 3 p.m., most of them crossed the finish line by 6 p.m., and then there was a little bit of a lag, about an hour, hardly any spectators left in the stands, but an hour after the previous runner had crossed the finish line, around the corner, down the stretch, comes John Stephen Aquari. In the middle of the race, he had fallen. And he had hurt his, hurt his knee you know, pretty bad, badly, and he was bleeding. And this is a crazy part. He came in fathom. He dislocated his knee at the joint. This, and so naturally, right, the, the article that I read, there's people saying, dude, bro, like, be done. Right? You could do permanent damage. Like, it's not worth it. Don't finish. And uh, so here he comes, limping, obviously, you know, and trying to run during stretches of the race. But he's just trying to make it to the finish. And so after the race, here's what he said. He was asked why he'd carried on. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. He said, they sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. So why are you here? Ever ask the big questions? What does it all mean? What's my purpose? It's to finish the race. It's today, right now, run well. Your race today, it matters. God did not put us here on earth to coast, to just put in our time, to, to merely show up to the day, to respond, our purpose is to run and to finish. And so some of you, you're in a place where you're like, you're knocked down. And you, your takeaway today is I, I, I'm deciding to get up. Know that you can't get up on your own. Again, I said it at the top, you're here for a reason. Church is a family by God's design because we need each other. Some of you need help getting up. Some of you need, you're up, but you need to take a step, right? You need to pray, God, show me what's next. 
so that I can put myself in a position where I can, I can run. Some of you just need to start looking forward, right? You've got the backpack of rocks on, on your shoulders, right, that represents your past, and every single day you wake up and you're, you're living out the if only. If only that would have been different. If only I would have made this decision, I would be in this position. God has you where he needs you, and he's going to use you, and he's going to leverage your past, he's going to leverage your pain for his good and his glory. Your story today matters. Run your race well. I mentioned in the first message of the series, Philippians chapter one, verse six, is one of the theme verses uh, for, for this series. It says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. That's a promise. He began a good work in you. He's not done with you yet. He will carry it on to completion for how long? Not even till the end of your life, until the day we meet Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, 7. May all of us at the end of our lives when we're face to face with, with Jesus or you're on your deathbed, you can say this with confidence and a sense of completion knowing that you've decided to run despite it all. 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 